0: Good evening uh, and welcome. Um, so a couple of intro things really for me. First of all, if you've been coming to Encounter for the last, well, I don't know, six or seven times, um, good. If you haven't, bad. Uh, and you can do penance later. Um, but if you've been coming, uh, Laurie hasn't been giving out titles and we've been a bit, getting a bit of sort of freedom, haven't we? Because you did do one, didn't you, uh, to do things. And uh, have you, if you're with it... Um, it, you sort of I've sort of been going through I've been studying like st- things through uh, through stuff about um, the, some of the judges and then the end of judges and I come this evening to Saul, I'll more that in a minute. And and um, last time I wasn't wasn't me last time, it was Wendy last time he spoke to Caleb, who's a great example, a great hero of faith. And showed real I thought it's like probably when he said a lot, do listen to it, it's online. But probably the summary, fundamentally, is the guy actually believed God and was obedient <laughs> and did what he was told to do, and, and and has a fantastic like testimony, the fact that he gets in the promised land no one does. And I'm going to, this evening, want to speak about someone who's really been an, I don't know, a bit of an enigma. It's been a thing that for a long time in my life I've never quite understood. It's this guy I saw. Uh, screen. Go. Oh. Sweet. Um Uh, and that's sort of in sequence for me it's in sequence because it comes after the end of Judges and he's the first king and stuff and I've missed out Samuel, Samuel's a great guy it's sort of easier to preach on the great successes (laughs) on the Davids and the Caleb's and the Joshuas and the Samuels isn't it Um, David that murder and adultery exactly but he's a great success because he's like the king sets everything up and he's like you know but Saul's always been, for me, a bit of a, why is going on there? Because in the end, he is actually really, really bad. I mean, Laurie talks about the way Jezebel and Ataliah try and cut off the Davidic line. But Saul tries to stop it. He throws a javelin at David to try and kill David before it even starts. And he ends up almost in utter opposition to what God's doing. But it starts off really well. And and it's always for me. I've always been. I read through that, you know, the story, the uber story that goes through Abraham and Isaac and all that stuff, and, and right through the Old Testament. You see it bring towards Jesus. A flink, brilliant thing to do. And I always get to Saul and think, Oh Lord, what is going on there? What is going on? And so I want to share a bit of my journey with that. And I think there's some really really important lessons that I've picked out from it at the end. But I want to start off by just am picking some of the story out and talking about some of the story. Is that okay? And I, I've, I'm going to use slides, I'm going to be stick to the slides, because there's so much here I will go on for hours and hours and hours. And since it's my last time and no-one can sack me, I can go on for hours and hours and hours, <laughs> and no-one's going to get across. Uh, and there's a freedom in that that I do not want to uh, abuse. Um, on the other hand, I recommend you sit on the comfy seats. <laughs> um, and I'm going to try and, and try and keep... Uh, I remember doing, actually, my friend Chris is here, who's an ex-colleague. We taught physics together. Well. We taught physics in different rooms, but at the same time. Um, and I remember doing a, a thing when when computers were very new, it was like 100 years ago. Um, PowerPoint was a great new thing. I remember doing a survey. I remember doing this. I did a survey and asked staff and students whether they found PowerPoint an advantage or not in learning. And the staff said some stuff. I never really worried what they said, but the students. Their biggest response was, yes, sir, it's great. It stops staff going off track. It keeps them on track. They stop telling stories and stuff, and they keep on the... And I I think there is something about that for me tonight to keep on track. This is the story of a man called Saul. Next slide. It starts like this. Samuel grew old, the first verse of chapter 8, 1 Samuel. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his first boy was Joel, and his second name was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. I have to say that in the Old Testament in general, the quality of parenting is absolutely pants. It's really hard to find anyone who ever brought the kids up properly. I mean it, it, you know, it starts off Adam and Eve, I mean for're going to sake one of the sons is a murderer, okay Where's the parenting going on there? I mean I, I mean Abraham managed to have two kids and they sort of well one of them Ishmael, that's not gone well is it for a start. Uh, Jacob, I mean it was there 12 sons and some daughters and, and, and some of the sons tried to murder other ones of the sons and there's guilt I mean manner going on there. Uh, I mean, uh, David. I mean, okay. Absalom, yeah, great, great. He he was really worked out well. Gideon, his son's trying. uh, uh, It goes on. Solomon. uh, uh, It's like, guys, was no one ever invest in the next generation? Point one. Laurie said this morning, when we pray for the limitless thing, that the young people aren't the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. And there's something about investing in the generation below you. For me, that is like people who are 50, (laughs) the generation below me, right? But it can work down. And part of what church is is family, it's community. And part of what society has lost is the corporateness of bringing up kids. And church needs to do that, and church keep doing it. You do it really well over 49 years in this church. This church has been really good investing in that, but keep doing it. Okay? Do you get that? That's on, the, that's on pass on. You'd have thought, wouldn't you, you know this is going, don't you? Israel are going to ask for a king, aren't they? Yeah? You'd have thought, having seen the way it worked out with Gideon and then Samuel, the hereditary principle might have been not a very good idea. In fact, I would say hereditary principle is a pretty bad idea always. I don't know where it comes from. But Samuel, great guy, brilliant success, but his kids did not do what. And so the people of Israel come. Next slide. Uh, so the elders of Israel gathered. So the elders of Israel gathered and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old. That, that lands a bit. <laughs> you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Actually, praise God. My sons don't follow my ways. I th- I think both of them have got aspects of faith which outdo me. Um, one of my sons is the person who speaks most truth to me. He'll come to me and say, well, just out of the blue, you know, we talked about football or cricket or whatever, and then suddenly say, Dad, how's your prayer life? What you're reading at the moment, <laughs> what's God said to you recently? And have you been obedient to that? <laughs> it's like, um, there's something about anyway. That's, that's me. Um, but thank you, Nick. You are a blessing, but sometimes I find it very hard. Be um, ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the nations have. Point two. Woo, this is not a good place to be. They want a king so they can be like the nations. Hang on, you're the people of Israel. The whole point is you're not like the nations. Point one, church, on, the, on pass on. These are, this is not the real point, they're coming later. These are on the way through. First, look after young people, invest. Two, you're a church. You're not designed to be like the nations. You're supposed to be different. It's painful and annoying and difficult at times and there's so much pressure to be conformed to the way the world is but that's not what you're called to be. You're called to be church. You're called to be completely different. You model something that the world doesn't have. And there's, can I can't really say this, Chris? I, I don't want you to hear me saying, Church, you can break the law. <laughs> but I'll be quite close to it. But we live in a framework where a lot of the legal things we have to live by are not designed to be kingdom liberating. Right. Do, do you understand that? A lot of the, and some of the rules, they come often from a good place, protecting people and whatever else. But some of the legal frameworks that we have to live by in society are not kingdom liberating, and and you have to do them. But then you, you you're not careful. If you go too much, I don't know, emotionally with them, you have to behave the the law to do what you're told. But if you go too much with them, it leads you in a way of management structures and leadership structures which are not kingdom; they're worldly, and this is not going to end well. The people of Israel want a king. And if they'd said, I suspect if they'd said, maybe uh, yeah, we go. You see, I presume they knew the prophecy that Jacob has when he blesses his sons, Genesis 46 somewhere, it'll come up later possibly. When, when he blesses his sons, Jacob, and he says about Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Right? Mm-hmm. Hang on, where's the king going to come from? G- Judah. Judah. Where does the king... Oh, no. The king comes from Benjamin. This is part of my problem with the whole Saul thing. Samuel's a brilliant bloke. He's a great leader. I can't believe he didn't know that prophecy. What's going on there, Lord? He'll come back there in a second. If they'd have said, I suspect, if Israel had said, look, these judges are great, but... But they really, you know, they come along. Gideon comes along, frees us, and then his sons aren't good and they do bad stuff. Samuel comes. Samuel comes along, brilliant. Forty years of bringing Britain. His sons come. Why don't we have a? Why don't we change the model and have a king, so that so that someone else can lead us into God's firmness and, and restore the kingdom properly and blah blah blah. Maybe God would have said, Yeah, great. Don't king was, I don't think the king was wrong. It can't have been, because God sort of said about it in, in, in back in like Jacob's time, long time ago. You get? It's the reason for doing it. And there's something about um, um, when I was a little, little, little nap nipper, I had to read a book called Murder in the Cathedral by T. S. Eliot. And in those days, um, is Cathy here? Um, we used to have to learn prose, and Shakespeare plays off by heart. And still, occasionally. Bits of it come back to me. It's like a nightmare, a recurring nightmare. Uh, I can see my English teacher, who, who, who was she? Was one of those people who thought she'd eaten lemons the whole time. If you know what I mean? <laughs> do you know what I mean? She, she always looked sour. And 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 even now, I find I, I find myself quite scared of saying this. But and and and, she, and I don't know. The last temptation was the greatest treason. to Do the right deed for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Which um, Elliot has. Um, been saying at the cathedral before. The last temptation of the greatest treason to the right deed for the wrong reason. Church, one, look after young people. Two, you're not supposed to be like the world. Three, in that wanting to be like the world, be very, very careful because there is a, there is a, oh gosh, there is, if you're like the world, you don't get criticised and attacked. If you say we're doing this thing because it's logical and we've got a plan and we've got a you know, mission statement and all that stuff. Yeah, that's all the world does. If you say God's told us to by prophecy, they think you're weird. Yeah? And they should think you're weird. Because it's not the way they think. So if you, you know, do the right thing, build the centre, but do it for the right reason. This is, this is en passant. Sorry, it's a long. Do you mind this or not? This is the last one. You can't say no, really, can you? <laughs> all right, I'll get the points in a minute. Slide. So someone tells them that it's a really bad idea. And and the people refuse to listen to them. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations, they repeat it. With a king to lead us and go out before us, fight our battle. I love that, by the way. A king to lead us and go out before us right? <laughs> we want someone who just takes the dangerous stuff there's a thing there about wanting leaders to take all the flack, I won't go there for the moment because they do, when Samuel heard all about the people he said, he repeats it for the Lord I love that, do you read that? when you hear when he gets crap coming at you where's the place to repeat it? not to your whatsapp group when you hear lies and stuff and people said there's, don't, you know where do you repeat it to? Before the Lord. Samuel has this off relationship, which is, Lord, they said this stuff. And the Lord answers, listen to them, give them a key. Samuel's not terribly happy about this, by the way. You, you know, you, you, this is not, because you'll tell the people they've done really the wrong thing. Now, go through, skip the caution slide and go to the next one. Uh, this is the, That's the prophecy I, I did, did I quote that earlier, accidentally? They go from Genesis 46. yeah. Uh, this is he, in, in, on his deathbed, or near his deathbed, near the end of his life. Jacob, Israel, uh, makes prophecies for all his sons. Some of them are really like brief. You know, Benjamin's a ravenous wolf. Stop. <laughs> Where's that? You know, if you, anyway, it's not. Again, they don't seem to have the idea of fairness amongst their kids, right? Okay. It's, you know, that's by the by. But Judah gets this from Genesis 49. Uh, From Jacob, your brothers will praise you, your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, your father's son will bow down to you, You you're a lion's cub, Judah, you return from the prey, my son, like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, to whom it belongs, is Of course, this prophecy looks a long way forward to Jesus. The uber story of the Old Testament is to Jesus. So much happens on the way, but the overstory is everything's leading towards a time, a couple of thousand years after this, when Jesus will be born. He's the one who really has the scepter. He's the one for whom you can say it will never depart. He's the one to whom it belongs and comes. Right? It's a fantastic prophecy. Right? And it points to Jesus. But like a lot of prophecy, it has like a sort of immediate thing and a, and a more distant thing. Right, sort of, sort of nowish thing, and well, nowish it was a few hundred years later, but right, and and that's to just say that God clearly had seen this. Now here we come. One of Chris's problems is the whole thing about prophecy and God knowing the end from the beginning and still giving us free will. I don't understand this at all. But this is one of the classic places, it seems to me, where God knows what the outcome is going to be, and He says it. He says this a long time before the whole Saul-David thing happens, right? Does, do you think, I don't know, do you think that, so why would Samuel appoint Benjamin to be king? So maybe he has like, I don't know, there's a thing sometimes about holy forgetfulness, I think. Because clearly God's plan works out, and it's God who chooses Saul, He's God who points out Saul. And, and, and where I come to with this in the end is, God is sovereign. We have free will. Jesus is coming. And I don't understand how it all ties together. And I'm not going to try. And if I'm in the world, if I'm in the world, I want to try. And my friend Chris, and next to my another friend, we've got a little physics thing going on there together. Right. If, I don't if, something doesn't work, if something doesn't work, I want the equations to work right. I want to get a theory that works. Yeah? I need to understand. Some of the stuff that we know, the truth about God, is a bit beyond me anyway. Maybe you guys get it. And sometimes you've got to live with that. And accept an amazing thing that God gives us an insight through prophecy into the future, right? And sometimes, how do you, how do, you do that? We are called to be faithful in the next 10 minutes. In one sense, our problem isn't the, the massive future. It's what God calls us to now. Anyway, next slide. Now, this is, this, is, this is my friend Saul. Now, he comes in. Now, you see Kish, whoever he was, had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Becky, stand up, please. <laughs> the average Israelite, Saul. Uh, uh, there's there's a there's a lad. We had a lad in year seven, who I mean I don't know what growth, growth hormones it had, but he was like six foot five in year seven. And when they came to assembly, the first, the first the whole you know the whole year year cohort, they stood up when when I went on stage, with the head and like oh my word he like stood out. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like beam pole amongst these little things. And after assembly, I went and said look. Whatever you do, stand at the side. You're to be at the end of a row. So you won't be so obvious you're standing up with the, with the staff. Um, anyway, but I just want to say here that this is the revised version translation of the same thing. And the King James is the same. Because the word translated handsome has a more general meaning. It's normally translated good or goodly or a fit for purpose. It's terrible English, isn't it? And he had a son whose name was Saul, a young man, and a godly. And there was not among the children of Israel a godlier person. Is that a good word, Kathy? Is it okay saying godlier person? Right? I, I, I want to say here, I think God chose this man, and he was tall. And I think the handsome translations make sense of it, because it's talking about his height, you see. Physically, he was. I suspect it might mean he was more than that. I don't think it means good, it means appropriate and fitting. God does not choose people who aren't capable of the job. I reject the hypothesis that some of the commentators go to that God chose Saul just to say to Israel, you silly people, you don't want a king, look how bad he'll be. I just don't get that. That's not my God, is it? That's not Father. Father chose someone who had all the attributes, well, not all the attributes to do it, but he had the attributes to be a... And it's gonna be a hard gig. He's gonna become king and there's no history of kingship. I mean, I don't even know how it works. There'll be no civil service. Do you have civil service in those days? There'll be no like court, there'll be no tax raising system. How do you even run a kingdom when you become a king and they never had kings before? I mean, how does it how does it work? I mean, this is gonna be almost an impossible job, isn't it? It's a hard gig to do. And I don't think God would put him up for it, set him up to fail. God does not set his people up to fail. He causes us to do stuff and he equips us. Now, we'll see that in a second because I'm going to go through it, I hope, anyway. Um, so, various things happen. I'm not going to the story of the donkeys. You may have to read this thing in one Samuel. Saul's gone looking for donkeys. They got lost. And he comes by chance. No, by chance, God's told Samuel, a man's coming and you've got to anoint him king. Next bit. And so Saul does not know what he's doing, really. And and, and Samuel says to him, look, come to the feast. And he goes to the feast. And Saul can't quite get it while he's been honoured at a feast. And then it's quite secret because then Samuel sends everyone away. And just Samuel and Saul together, it's this that happens. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head. And kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you rule over his inheritance? When you leave here today, you will meet two men in Rachel's tomb at Zilla on the border of Benjamin, pretty exact. And they will say to you, the donkeys you set out have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do with my son? Uh, next slide, okay. Then you will go on from there and reach the great tree of Tabor. Well-known landmark, presumably. I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, it's like the, I don't know, the boot and slipper, whatever. Uh, the three, men, three, three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats. This is incredibly accurate prophecy, isn't it? And another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. I mean, next. This blows my mind. After that, you'll go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost, and you will approach the town, and you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and timbrels and pipes and harps being played before them. And they will prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. And you'll be changed into a different person. Next slide. Once these signs were filled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to go, and I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Next slide. And Saul turned to leave Samuel. God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. All oh, those signs for that day. Okay. Because I'm a teacher and because I've been talking for a long time, just go back. When you became a Christian when you first became to faith, there will almost certainly be things that God gave you as signs, as like confirmations, or maybe somewhere. We don't just follow Jesus because we've got the brains we do experience. Agreed? Okay? There was something, I mean, did anyone have something like that said to them? No, but this is special because Saul's called to a hard gig and he's got to know that God's equipped him to do it. Because he can't do it. And it's an amazing set of confirmation. I mean, can you imagine that someone says that to you and then, you, and then it starts happening. You think, oh, whoa. And at the end of it, you meet the person of the prophets and you become a prophet. And the book says, Saul prophesies. It actually, it's something else as well, by the way. <laughs> but I'll come to that later. So just think. And if you want to, I'd encourage you to. Turn to the person next to you, take three minutes, and just talk about some of the experience things that have confirmed to you the fact that God is real. Can you do that? Go. Turn to the person next to you, say hello, and just share something of what actually for you confirms. Because experience matters. So... This is on the way into my real points. The first thing, I encourage you, church, look after young people. Bless you for the fact you do. Secondly, I encourage you, don't be like the world. Third, do things because we're told to do them by God. And don't worry people think we're weird. Right? The right right motives. Fourthly, just celebrate the fact that we're all different, but we've all had those moments where we recognise God speaks to us. Right? Now read the scriptures, study the scriptures believe the words, do the creed, all that stuff it's really important to get it right but, but we have a God who's active and living and speaks to us and often, see for Saul what I like about this is that Samuel tells him this privately no one knew this apart from Saul and Samuel I presume Samuel wrote it down for Saul it's special but it's ordinary stuff he meets people and they offer him well maybe that's not ordinary, I don't know how often that happened, right? Until the prophecy thing at the end. It's all like, just, you know, you go here, this lap and these people come and tell you that, and this, yeah? Right? I mean, it could be circumstantial, couldn't it? Not that much, it couldn't. For me, my, I mean, to be honest, I sort of became a Christian when I was 14, but my real, like, big digging in was at university, and, and when I just made a decision I was going to follow Jesus. And for me, it was just simply a matter of making a decision and going to, um meet, in this room where four or five Christians were meeting and feeling unbelievably at home. It was just a sense of actual peace, which I couldn't really just. I mean, is that a, is that a sign? For me, it was a sign. A sense of God being real. In, fourth thing, encourage you guys. You've got a great testimonies. You carry amongst you amazing experiences of God. It's all varied, right? It ain't the same. And don't ever be, never do the thing where you want somebody else's experience. And I wish I was like Laurie and had Please. had. <laughs> you know, and, and, and have that experience of whatever. Alright? That thing he talks about, the the kabira of the food, you know? Yeah. Never seen that. Why can't I die? Don't want other is that Aslan? Is that Language the wardrobe? You know, I never tell you any other than story. Yeah. We're all special. But I just encourage you to go for that. Anyway, for Saul, you see, it it it's it must confirm him. So God gives these signs because it's a hard gig and he's got to know God's with him about it and he's got to know what Samuel says is absolutely true. And Samuel says lots of stuff. Meet this man, go to this tree, find this. And then he says, and when you do the sacrifice thing, I'll be seven days. You have got it, seven days. That, of course, is going <coughs> to cut shortly. If you know the story, that's the beginning where Saul goes wrong. But Samuel's word as a prophet isn't approximate. Saul now knows it's unbelievably precise. I mean, it just is. And so all this stuff happens. And then actually what happens then is Saul goes back. And to be honest, he goes back to his family. Because, you know, I mean, what's going on, really? He doesn't know how to be a king. No one knows how to be a king. Samuel's anointed him, but no one else knows. It's secret. And then there's a battle thing and the... (laughs) Some Ammonites <coughs> abuse some Jews, and Saul gets cross, and he's been mowing um, mowing the lawn. No, no, um, ploughing with ox, oxen. It's, it's Cheshire boys who mow the lawn, isn't it? And they're ploughing with oxen, and 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 he calls out Israel, and they win a great victory, right? And they then want to confirm him publicly as king. Next slide. Oh, the next slide is my bullet. That's it. Thank you. Now, there's two places where Saul says words like this. The first one's a word. Saul answered, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel, by the way. The prophecy of Benjamite is he's a ravening wolf, nothing else about him. And it's my clan, the least in all the clans of the tribe of Benjamite. Not so much true, by the way, but it's what he says. Why do you say such a thing to me? It's when, he, when, when, when Samuel has invited him to this feast and made him the guest of honor at the feast. Okay, what word do we St. Leonard use for that attitude? insignificance, right? And then when they want to actually, when the actual ceremony happens, the public ceremony of crowning him king, you remember they couldn't find him? Now the weird thing is, Samuel's Samuel. God has said, this is the man, someone's anointed him, he's gone off and done stuff a bit, and then they do, draw lots and they go to the whole of Israel, tribe by tribe, family by family, person by person to get, Right? So publicly, there's declaration through God. They used to think that Lot's of the way of choosing things. We don't Since the Holy Spirit came, we don't do that. Um, the last time they did it was um, choosing a replacement for Judas. That didn't work particularly well either, really. But they, they, you know, we don't do that now. But that's what they did to find God's will for things. So he's now, secondly, he's been chosen by Lot out of all the people of Israel. And though they can't find him. They, they couldn't find him. Where is he? Something quiet of the Lord. Has he come here? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself amongst the supplies. <laughs> Which is quite hard if you're seven foot three, whatever. <laughs> What's that tell you about? Insignificance. Now hang on. Big gig. But is he significant or not? Where does his significance come from? God's chosen him, anointed him, and given him all those signs, right? But he's, I think insignificance gets him in the end because it gets him into a place where he wants to please people insignificance in his case is a weakness that he doesn't deal with and it seems to me you deal with it by accepting hey God I can't do it but you can I can't do it but you can and I want to say here, I want to encourage you again we're into this thing, but we've got a way of doing this we have prayer appointments and we deal with these weaknesses yeah, keep doing it Keep dealing with these things. And I can't generalise that. For Saul, it was insignificant. No one did a prayer appointment for him and he didn't get working out. To be fair to him, I'm not sure who was around him to help him, really. Maybe Samuel. Actually, he's a pretty good guy. I mean, to be fair, you know, if Samuel was here, we'd all defer to him. That's a prophecy. But, But do keep doing that stuff. Keep dealing with the issues. It's a continuous thing. I've been following Jesus for 53 years, and you know, it's still going on. I'm still a work in progress. I sort of hope when I became a Christian after about five years, I'd be sort of have it sorted, <laughs> but it ain't like that. My encouragement is keep going to encounter, keep going to prayer appointments, keep hearing what God says, and keep going forward, right? Is it simple, right? You're going to deal with it. That's the first point for him. Second thing. Remember the last of the sign? What's the last of the signs he had? Bread and the loaves and all things. The last thing, we meet some prophets and he prophesied. Now, this I think is quite interesting. Because he says this. um, Oh, next slide. Oh, sorry. That's not what he said. Next one. Is it? When all those who'd known him formerly saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked, what is this that's happened to the son of Cush? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now, I'm I'm in beginning to get into interpretation here. So, Lord, if I go off beam, let that wash away from their minds. Okay? I'm, I'm going now to Chris Clare thinking a bit. All right, That's what the book says. And what I think it says there is people were really surprised about Paul being a prophet. Right? Because he now becomes king, and 40 years he rules as king, and stuff like that happens. And really, was Paul amongst the prophets? Solomon, Sorry, Saul, Paul was. Was Saul amongst the prophets? Right? What this tells me is That God gave him a gift of prophecy and he didn't use it. That he's brought into that experience, that ecstatic experience of seeing God and hearing God's word. I think, I think that, and I'm off beam here. No other commentator believes that says this or anything. However, I think that in the model that God has, the king was supposed to be prophet and king, not the priest stuff. Samuel's still doing the sacrifices. I think Saul was meant to be a prophetic king. I think God had empowered him. It says the spirit changed him, remember? I think that was available to him. Right, point two, church. Use the gifts God's given you. And use them to the maximum of your ability. And particularly, as Paul would say, especially to may prophesy. If you have the gift of tongues, use it. If you have gifts of healing, use it. The gift of administration, use it. The gift, of, the gift of prophecy especially. Lessons from Saul, one, if you've got issues, deal with them. Because I'm sure God didn't want him to be... God didn't want him to be in... He starts insignificant, fine, but he wants him to grow out of that. Two, if you've got gifts, use them. I think Paul was given. Saul was given this prophetic thing and never, never used it. And the people therefore, were amazed that he was ever a prophet because he didn't show his later life at all. Do you get it? Next. So this is now where it starts to go wrong. And I won't go through the details of the battle that's happening, but Saul's called Israel to him, and, and they are in a terrible place, actually. Like I say, you know, it's a hard gig, because not only is there's no structure in Israel for how kings work, I don't know how Saul fed and paid for his army, because there was no way of, I don't think there's a system of raising taxes or anything. I mean, I'm not sure how we pay for our army. I presume it comes from tax, with someone who knows how things work. Do we pay that, come from taxes, or come from, come from the magic money tree? Do we, do we borrow it from the banks? Okay, and I don't know how he did it at all, but he's gathered a force against him to fight the Philistines. Okay, he been told, and but he's been told to wait seven days, and he doesn't, he doesn't, and he's in a bad place because it says the text says that people were deserting him and running away, his army was scattering. Because the Philistines were more powerful and Israel had no, it says, you know, this time they had no blacksmiths, they couldn't make iron weapons, they were really up against it. But Saul knows that he's not due the sacrifice that Samuel's told him to wait. Here I go again. Samuel sort of seems to wait to the seventh day. <laughs> now, Samuel, if you really were. On his side here, you might go a bit earlier than that. Because he's, he's, he's been tested here. <laughs> if God tells you to do something, do it. Wendy said, I think, uh, I've got to say it twice really. Partial obedience is disobedience. Is that right? If it's clear God said to do something, just do it. It may be hard. But the consequences of not doing it are not necessarily good. And And... Saul has had, he knows that when Samuel says seven days, he doesn't mean five and a half days, he means seven days. To him, that is like the word of God. And he's seen that confirmed. But then this, this thing says, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom. Right? Again, I think, oh, my days. Your kingdom for all Time. But we know that because uh, God knows the end from the beginning so God can say a prophecy several 100 years ago about what's going to happen. But I think it's—I don't think God was doing it accidentally. I think it's real. This is true. If it had been obedient who knows what would have happened mind you. I have a speculation. Do you want to hear my speculation? Mm-hmm. Say yes louder. Do you want to hear my speculation? Yes, Yes Chris we do. I think what might have been God's plan was they've Saul had actually got into this prophetic thing and dealt with insignificance, and and the next two things I'm going to say, dealt with them as well. I think he might have been king, and he might have been established, and I think Jonathan might be the king after him, and he might have abdicated in favour of David. And the transition might have been much more happy and beautiful than all the crap that goes on in the next few chapters. Right? I don't know. I'm speculating, because no one knows. I think that... Does God have multiple plans? Or one plan? Is God... Upset and confused when we do think don't quite get it first time? Some ways not. It just carries on. But I think it gives us, I think it's all every chance. My gut is, he had every chance and he meffed it. Guys, deal with your issues. Use the gifts. Be obedient. This is not the end though. This is a warning. This is the warning time. This is the shout across his bounds about you need to be obedient. And Samuel berates him for it. But then he goes out to worship, and they win a massive battle. It's all good, and and life goes on. And and then, uh, two chapters later, I think, yes, 15. Now, this happens later on. another battle, and Saul's been given a command by God to go and destroy the Ammonites, completely destroy them. Now, again, I sort of get why he didn't. Because he's got to feed and pay his soldiers. And what they do is they keep the best of the cattle, right? Okay, But they don't do what God said. Now this, again, I'm speculating a bit here, right? But there's something here about Saul now being in the place where he does not see from God's point of view what's going on. He didn't in chapter 13 when he did the sacrifice himself and didn't wait for Samuel. He should have seen that what God was going to do was win the victory. It wasn't Saul's job to win the victory. He had to wait for Samuel, and then it had been done. God was gracious there, and they won the victory. But, you know, but, but, he, but he's, 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 he's now at the point where he now thinks he's got to do it, sort of. And there's this really telling thing, i have put it on the screen here, When Samuel goes to find him and tell him off for not doing it properly, because they, they kill the Amorites, they, they defeat them, but they don't devote everything to, to slaughter the cattle and the sheep. They keep the best of for themselves. Utter disobedience, no? Because Saul is not seeing it spiritually, seeing it as something. He, he when Samuel finds him, Samuel says, Saul says, Look, I've done what you told me to. No, you haven't. You've not seen the spiritual thing that's going on. Because God says the Ammonites need to be this the sheep and cattle wiped out. I let's not go there for a the moment. that's what we've been told to do. But then it says on the way through, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul had gone to Carmel, there he has set up a monument. In his own honour. Okay, it's only a throwaway line, but somehow I read that thought, oh yeah. Oh yeah, he's now not seeing. You see, he's not seeing from God's point of view. Who wins the victory? God. Now, God wins the victory through his people and through Saul, right? But it's not Saul's victory, it never was going to be. It's always God's victory. Oh, have well, I learnt that over my life? God calls us to be faithful, not successful, because successful is so often defined in our heads, in the world's eyes, not in His eyes. And when you said this morning, and I had a word. Could you, could you, can you, if I give you a microphone, can you repeat that word you had about about seen from above? But it was, I can't remember. Um, you'll do it better than me. Um, 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 I'm going to wave the green microphone so Paul does it. So I think it links up quite nicely this morning. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you. I'm trying to remember what I said. <laughs> um, Sorry, I Yes, changed. no, w- what I saw was um, we're facing storms and we're facing battle. And it's discouraging and there's lots coming against us. And what I felt the Lord was saying was that actually as we come and pray from above and take his perspective... The, the verse that, that triggered this that was, was um, rejoice it was about rejoicing in the Lord, and actually, as we come up higher, there is an opportunity there to we will see the victory and we will see the glory of God. And that is where we rejoice. So we need to not focus on the problems, but focus on what God is doing, and actually that's where we'll see the victory. and so there will be glory and there will be rejoicing. Change the slide, please. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. I hope Wendy said that. I've written this already. This is my summary slide. We're landing now, okay? Um, Johnny can choose some songs now. Warning you, Johnny, I'm about to land. This is my summary of these things. So, you see, Saul is a fantastic, in my case, I've now discovered there's a lot I can learn here. God is incredibly gracious and generous. And he is in control. And even if things look like they're going weirdly wrong, God's plan works out in the end it always does yeah. he is sovereign and in the detail through it it goes all over the show somehow or other but somehow he's got it and and this man saw was given every opportunity and he didn't deal with insignificance deal with it guys he didn't use the gifts he'd been given i think he had been given as that's me okay you don't may not agree with it doesn't say that anyway it does say sort of right but I think that's what he was designed to be, a prophetic king. I mean, David sort of is, isn't he? Right? Well, the Psalms, for goodness sake. right? Jesus, of course, is prophet, priest, and king. Agreed? It all comes together in, in Jesus. But in David's time, there was a separate priesthood. Like that side, the, the, the sacrifices stuff was done separately. I think that's where he's supposed to be. Uh, uh, but he, didn't, you know, he doesn't see this from a spiritual point of view. Even in chapter 13, which is the first thing he goes wrong, doesn't it? But he doesn't see the importance of obedience, he doesn't, he doesn't see from what God's, what God's doing. And he should have done because he's seen those words come to truth. And he knows that God's got this, the detail of some bloke giving him up two loaves of bread three days later. And obedience is, I suppose, the central thing. And then this thing about... It's so easy sometimes. And, and I fall into this too. You know, the, the, the nice sermon vicar comment on the way out. Don't whatever you do say that on the way out. Because <laughs> firstly it's not a sermon, secondly I've never been a vicar I don't want to be. Um, I'm a clerk in holy orders, with permission to officiate, wherever, but 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 it's so easy sometimes in the church and in our life as Christians to sort of feel because God does use us to do stuff. <laughs> but it's his power and his glory. <laughs> And we have to be in the place where we recognize, what does Jesus say? The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Right? I a witness, I feel willing to be faithful, but it's God that does stuff. And I think I want to encourage us to, to give God the glory for all that happens and all that sees. Because it's his, the power that does it. And it's amazing that we're called to work with him, but in a sense all we're called is to be obedient and get out of the flipping way, Right? It's, it's, it's just like, you know, I mean, David gets that because of the, I mean, David has nothing like the same confirmation, by the way, becoming king. He just does the Goliath thing, doesn't he? Right? He has nothing like the same words of, and maybe it was slightly easier because Saul's tried to kill him for 30 years or whatever. And Saul, like I say, ends up really bad. Yeah, it ends up black. Almost no one, I don't think, in the Old Testament ends up as black as Saul trying to wipe out the Davidic line. Before he even starts. And weirdly, though, he said, landing on a weird note, Saul is almost the first example of someone whose kids turned out good. How bizarre is that? Because Jonathan's pretty cool, isn't he? And gets it. Now that is just like, hmm, that's grace. That's grace. And if sometimes we don't, <laughs> as parents, we mess it up, there's still grace for our kids divine Jesus and be who they want to be. I could say so much more, but I promised myself, oh, it's nearly an hour, look. Is it, are, are the seats uncomfortable? Yes. Is that a decent summary? Do you want to stand and worship? Yes. Let's stand. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you for the treasure of your scripture. I thank you for the treasure that's hidden in every bit of it. Father, I pray that you'd help us all to just to, to read it, to, to hear it, to hear your spirit speaking through us. Father, help us to have. Deal with the issues that we have, to use the gifts you've given us. Help us, Lord, as Wendy just that word said this morning, to see from above, to rise above the storms of practical or physical, and to see what you're doing. And Lord, to give you the glory because you are the king of all kings. You see the end from the beginning. You declare the truth long before anyone sees it. You've been working throughout history, and you're working now. And this evening, this morning, this, in this whole church, and these bunch of people gathered here, Father, your spirit wants to work with us to bring you the glory, to win victory in all that we do, but not for our glory, not to build an honor to us, but for your glory, Jesus, because you're king of kings. Lord Ross, you're beautiful beyond description, and we worship you. Bless your name.